In the world of Hollywood, movies get greenlit and redlit. They get remade and rebooted. But we are the ideal. I'm Sam Gash, and you are listening to Ideal Remake. Thank you for listening to Ideal Remake. We take movies that either have been, will be, or should be remade and talk about what the ideal version of that remake would be. Look, there's this dough, see? There's all this dough. 350 Gs. Do you hear what I'm saying? 350 Gs in the park, Rosita. Rosita Beach State Park, just south of Dago in Santa Rosita. It's in this box buried under this, buried under this big W. You'll see it. You'll see it under this big W. You can't miss it. A big, big W, and it's been there, and it's been laying there for 15 years. And here to take this journey with me, and definitely not abandon me the first chance she gets, is Michelle Iantuano of Octopunk Media. So Michelle, is It's a Mad, 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 Mad World, a movie that has been, will be, or should be remade? It has been, it should be, and also great audition for Smiler Grogan. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I mean, I it, Buster Keaton's got some big shoes to fill. Uh, yep. <laughs> yeah, so it has been and it should be. It's actually a sort of been remade. I think it was 2001, 2002, something like that yeah. uh, in the film Rat Race. But we don't count that because, A, it was a soft, barely remake. Yeah. And also it was terrible. So I have a completely different idea for how to remake what is probably my favorite film of all time. Ooh, okay. I'm very excited. I uh, mentioned Rat Race at a movie club I was at this weekend. And I had friends who were like, oh, I love Rat Race. And I was like, no. But also, <laughs> they hadn't seen It's a Mad, 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 Mad World. So yeah, I don't know what's yeah. going on. No comparison. <laughs> the, the really embarrassing thing is that I was already like percolating an idea of how to like redesign everything. And the the premise that I remembered was the premise from Rat Race, where it's a bunch of people like manipulating a bunch of uh, like like setting bets and ba- gambling on everybody from Vegas. And I remember thinking like that was the present. So the uh, uh, and so I was designing the game in my head from that. And then I started watching this movie. I was like, oh right, he literally kicks the bucket. <laughs> that's better. That's way that's way more random and crazy. <laughs> It's definitely a slapsticky film, uh, oh, and on sure. more and on more rewatches, especially when I show it to other people who've never seen it, I kind of have to preface it and be like, "Hey, so I'm not a huge slapstick fan. I like the movie for the one-liners and the uh, the performances of the actors, really, because this is a movie where, I mean, historically in time, 1963, the purpose of the movie was to be an epic comedy where they got mm-hmm. together all of the different comedic actors of the time and it was just an absolute rogues gallery of every comedian working in Hollywood at the time. So that context is kind of important and it definitely informs <laughs> some of my casting decisions and creative decisions for this remake as well. But Same. you know but it's also one of those things where you don't want to just like do the cast of SNL, which is I think what they would actually do today if Hollywood tried to remake this. They would just put in the cast, the current cast of SNL, and I don't think that that's the way to go either. No, so, I think I had one person on here who had ever been on SNL, not as a guest host. I think maybe two on mine, but I, I don't, I'm not even 100% sure. <laughs> Interesting. But yeah, so before we get too deep into it and talk about why this movie's awesome, introduce yourself to the audience. Welcome to Ideal Remake. 
Sure. Uh, I'm Michelle. I'm a writer director from Charleston, South Carolina. I, as you said, run Octopunk Media, which you might know from the features Live Scream or Live Screamers. If you're into gay robot fan fiction, I did a feature called Detroit Evolution, which takes place in the Detroit Become Human universe. You can find that on YouTube. I've also done some shorts, Fame Fatale. I produced the short What a Beautiful Wedding, directed and written by Michael Smallwood. Um, I've been doing this for seven or eight years now, so you've probably seen me around if you've ever been to Genre Blast or been to Nightmares Film Festival, anything like that. Good. Love it. And I have been to Genre Blast, Genre Blast and it was that's awesome. Where we met. <laughs> and that's where we met. And everyone should go to that film fest in two years when it comes back. Yeah. <laughs> and in the meantime, I guess go to Dragon Con Labor Day weekend because that's like the one weekend, one time you'll have it off from Genre Blast. <laughs> I mean, all right, if I must. <laughs> so... Michelle, do you remember the first time you saw this movie? Oh my gosh. Um, very first time? No, because this is a movie I grew up with. Okay. This is one of my, my, my parents' favorite movies. So I remember having seen this as early as, I mean, age six or seven, probably. And, you know, the house that I grew up in, my, the very first house. And I remember particularly that it was sort of a New Year's Eve tradition to watch this movie on New Year's Eve. My dad kind of oh, did that. So, so um, I, I remember there were several New Year's Eves I was spending with my father where he would put this on before before the ball dropped. So, yeah, I've seen it so many times. Uh, I had to laugh because when you gave me the remake sheet with the list of all the characters, they were listed by archetype. And I literally could remember their actual in-universe names by and memory. That's- incredible <laughs> like you, you texted me back and i was like i don't know how you're doing this but i'm impressed <laughs> you were like those two road trip guys and i was like dingy bell and benny benjamin that's put, their name put some respect <laughs> on their names they have oh, earned yeah. their flight hours I will say I did have to Google uh, or I did have to look at the list for the glasses man, though. I did not know his because I don't think they ever actually use it in the movie. They do. They use Maybe his once. name at the very end when oh, uh, that's right. the, when that's Captain T.G. Right. Culpepper points to him and goes, I don't know, Otto Meyer. Yeah, you <laughs> right. sure got some things to think about. And it's like, yeah. whoa, you know my name. That's right. That was a plot point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I didn't know his, but everybody else's, I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, J. Algernon Hawthorne. I got it. <laughs> it's interesting that Glasses Man Otto Meyer is kind of, like, interestingly, one of the more memorable characters of the movie. Because when you think of the Simpsons parody from the, the Cat Burglar episode, he's the one that's just kind of taken whole cloth and put in the episode. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I think Phil Silvers is the name of that actor. And he was really big at the time. He had his own show and stuff. It makes sense. They like one of my favorite things, like even just sitting down to watch the movie and you're like, this movie's going to be amazing, is you get to the very first title sequence of credits and a hand comes out and reorganizes them and puts a name on top. And then another name comes out and puts that on yeah. top. It's just like, who gets top billing? And they're Changes clearly the all being shuffled up. And then it ends. <laughs> Like, because Phil Silvers gets put on top on first, it gets shuffled all up. And then at the very end, right as it cuts away, Phil Silvers gets put on top again. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> it's it's so good. And you're just watching that going, ah, oh, this is a good movie. Right away. It's a good movie. I love any movie that like settles you in for like a five minute long Saul Bass, like opening credit sequence. <laughs> I love that there's an intermission and the version I have, the Criterion Collection version, they keep the full intermission. Like, so you can actually like get up and go in the TV edit. They just show like the title screen for 
20 seconds and then they just skip it. But yeah, no, I think there's something so epic about this movie that even though movies are all of similar runtime these days, you know, back back when I was a kid, you know, sitting in for an almost three hour long or in some cases more than three hour long film like this was like, it was an afternoon. Like you settle in for it's a mad, 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 mad world. And now the Hunger Games, Transformers, they're all two hours, 45 yeah. minutes. And we, we've sort of lost that a little bit. We, even though with the longer run times, you don't feel that like epicness that I felt when I would watch this film as a kid. For them, it makes sense. They're servicing so many characters. And yeah, it's it's wild. I... Like I watched this movie and the DVD I bought uh, over Thanksgiving from Bookman's also had the long intermission. I was like, this is great. I love this. <laughs> I I did have to go to the bathroom. So I ended up pausing the intermission, oh, going no. to the bathroom, coming back and resuming the intermission. And I stand by that. That's wonderful. So like you've seen this movie a bunch. My first introduction to It's a Mad, 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 Mad World was I'd heard about it. It was just like one of those things that I'd heard snippets of like, it. this is one of the peak comedies ever. And I'm pretty sure when I first got to LA and I first got Netflix, I was like, I need that on DVD. And I'm pretty sure that's the first time I ever saw it. So I think watching it a couple nights ago is the second time I've ever seen this movie. And that's it. <laughs> it's, it's so fun. I'm glad that people can appreciate it, even if they didn't grow up with it like I did, because I, there's definitely been a couple of people I've shown it to where they were probably like, that's nice. Um, oh, and, then, no. and then and then it's like grown on my spouse over time because we've been together 13 years and he's seen me see it so many times. <laughs> and, and and by now, I think he's he's come to, to come to come to like it as well, which is why I texted him earlier and I was like, hey, I forgot some of my recastings, but you know them. I know we've had this before. <laughs> Can you can you help me out here? Can you remind me who I who I always say that I should cast as that person? Because this is when when you came to me and were like, "Hey, what movie do you want to remake?" I was like, "Oh, I got you. I I have I've I've been thinking about this for my entire life." Ah, <laughs> oh, good. That's awesome. I'm very excited. So, for people who haven't seen this movie, how would you like? What would you say if we were to, if we were to do as quick a run through as we possibly can? What happens in it's a mad 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 world? One so, mad for each car. Uh, right. <laughs> um, so what what I love about this is that it has such a great log line and it's so simple to explain despite being such an epic film. Basically, there is a, a, a robber named uh, Smiler Grogan who gets in a car accident, a really fatal car accident on the side of the road in like California in 1963, goes down a mountain and everything. And a bunch of uh, motorists stop on the side of the road and go down to help him. Uh, and you've got uh, Mickey Rooney and, oh my God, I literally always forget the other guy who's with him. It's like his name just falls into a pit in my brain. <laughs> it's, uh, as described in the movie, that marble mouth guy. The marble mouth guy. <laughs> <laughs> and that, Diggy Bell and Biddy Benjamin are uh, two friends who are going to Vegas and they go down to help. You've also got, I think, J. Russell Finch and his wife, Emmeline, and Emmeline's mother and his mother-in-law, Mrs. Marcus, who's played by, oh my gosh. Again, you do not need to know their blanking. names. Anyway. It's, and it's it, very impressive, but. <laughs> anyway, so that it's like a, a, a husband and wife and mother-in-law, and he's just sort of this mild-mannered guy who like doesn't stand up to his mother-in-law. You've got Pike, who is a truck driver, a solo truck driver. And you've also got a dentist and his wife. And basically- uh, This Smiler was the Gro one name I wrecked. This was the one person I was like, oh my God, 
That's Sid Caesar. Caesar. Yeah, Sid Caesar. <laughs> <laughs> and and so basically they all go down to talk to 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 help Spyler Grogan. And as Spyler Grogan is dying, he says, There's a bunch of dough buried under a big W, and then he just dies. And so they all sort of look at each other and they're like, Oh, that was bunk, but then very quickly they all go for it. And they they it begins this three hour long road race and air race and you know, and basically race across California to get to uh, Santa Rosita State Park, which is where this money, uh, I think it's $350,000, which even yeah. by today's standards is a lot of money. I absolutely. think back then it was like $5 million or something like that if you scale it up. Just an absolutely absurd amount of, of, of money. And so uh, as they go across the, uh, the state, they pick up a lot of other people along the way, uh, people who help them, people who try to get their way. And by the time they get to Santa Rosita State Park, there's like 17 people or something like this. Just through like uh, fortune and misfortune, they all converge on the park at the same time. Right. And also you have Sergeant Culpepper, who is the cop who was on the Groger case, has been following it, has been trying to track this guy down. I think it was like the, the, the tuna fish factory robbery or something like that. It was something absurd. I hope so. That's amazing. <laughs> So ultimately, Culpepper is sort of the antagonist because he's chasing them, but also he is unhappy with his life and it's his goal to take the money out from under all of them and uh, flee to Mexico, uh, where he will never be seen again. And there's all sorts of other stuff with like the police have like gutted the pension and all this stuff. It's, there's some really interesting ACAB messages in yeah. this 1963 comedy film, uh, as well as some messages about how a lot of people try to make money by having money, which is sort of the point of the dentist character. He tries to sort of throw money at the problem of getting to the money fastest Mm -hmm. by basically writing a check, you know, to to get the fastest mode of transportation, you know, above all the others, but ends up just as misfortunate as as some of the others. So yeah. (laughs) Well, so when they're down there, uh, after Smyler Grogan literally kicks the bucket, they a couple of cops show up and like, what did he say? What did he tell all of you? And they're like, he just died. He was like, he was dying. He was gibberish. Nothing happened. He thought this guy was this ant. (laughs) Yeah. And he just uh, took off out of there. What's the line? Uh, Sailed right out there. (laughs) Sailed right out there. And, And so, but then they like, and then they just start driving and then one speeds up and then another catches up. And then they all basically like, look, we're all going places. They try to make a deal. It completely breaks down. And then it, they're off. Yeah. And it's, and so basically the other crazy thing is that all of their journeys are being somehow monitored by police who have these incredibly sophisticated monitoring techniques that honestly are impressive today. (laughs) Yeah. They're basically being tailed like all down the entire coast by, which is really also funny because jurisdiction wise that makes no sense (laughs) because because i'm pretty sure culpepper is not a state he's not like a a a marshal he's he's just a a city cop yeah so so i like i really don't know how he is able to send uh his his force out a hundred miles away but but sure i mean i think again there's some interesting commentary on the police system in this film but it It would be interesting if they were all highway patrol Right. <laughs> but it was it was directed by the same person who did Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, whose, again, name ex- escapes me. I'm sure they have one. Oh, right. <laughs> 
I, 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 you know, I'm gonna go. I don't, I don't want to be a bad filmmaker. Yeah, I'm pulling up IMDb too. Stanley Kramer, of course. Yeah. Stanley Kramer directed this, and and it is, I believe, his first comedy, but he did also direct Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. So he was a very progressive filmmaker for the time, which I'll, I'll sort of get into later in terms of what I think should be changed on the creative side. Uh, or the the behind the scenes side of like writing and directing of this movie because it is one of the things I love about this film is that there it it doesn't really age poorly I think you know you could you could update the casting to be more progressive which is sort of what I'm going to pitch but in terms of like comedies from that era like there's so many things particularly even from the 80s i feel like the 80s comedies aged the most poorly in terms of things where it's like just throw out the whole movie this is cringe and offensive but there's really nothing offensive about this film and i i really enjoy that too that it's it's not like a, a movie that i show to people and have to caveat it with like okay it's a product of its time yeah like I, I i think it really does hold up from that level as well i i tend to agree it because it's so, it's not even like the zaniness and the madcap about it. It's the manicness. It's the need. And it's just like, even the fact that they are 60 years ago now, it's no. Yes. That's how math works. Yep. And 60 years ago, they, it, it's still because they are in such dire straits to get to the place, get to the place, get to the place. Basically having all of their technology is basically irrelevant. Like, mm-hmm. even just the notion of having a GPS is basically irrelevant because they all just have maps memorized, essentially. <laughs> and, and, like, so that's not even an issue. Like, a lot of the plot points are going to be largely the same. I think we should do just, like, a quick run-through of, like, the four different people just, like, quickly. Like, mm-hmm. Dennis and his wife get to a, a, a plane yard first, hire the shittiest plane ever, <laughs> manage to make it to Santa Rosita first, but then in their mad dash to get like a pick and shovel, get locked in a uh, hardware store. And that's what keeps them from getting to the place uh, before everybody. What happens to the husband, the wife, and the mother-in-law? So they end up partnering with a British safari guy named J. Algernon Hawthorne because they, they end up messing up their car. They they rear-end another one of the characters and have to get a new car. So they no, hitchhike. The, he, the, or they uh, get the truck driver get rear-ends them. They, they get rear-ended. So their car gets messed up. They have to hitchhike with a British chap who they agree to split the money with. But then they have some like internal squabbling amongst yeah. themselves and end up splitting up. And so Finch and the and, and Hawthorne go off together. Mrs. Marcus and her daughter Emmeline end up getting hitchhiking with the truck driver Pike. They're also trying to call Sylvester, who is the, the brother of Emmeline and the son of Mrs. Marcus, because uh, he lives in Santa Rosita. But they're trying to call him and his music too loud so he can't hear them he's doing like a 60s dance scene with uh, a sexy lady in lingerie who has no facial expression i so i love that scene in particular a little bit of an aside because what i i interpret that scene is basically they are having mad sex but they couldn't show that on screen in 1963 so that is what we were supposed to interpret uh, that scene as <laughs> i i took it to mean drugs also valid <laughs> but yeah you're you, oh man your, your idea is probably better that's very funny 
I just, I don't take that scene literally. I feel like that scene is so zany that it's like, oh, we're supposed to interpret this scene as meaning something else. <laughs> that makes more sense. That's very clever. Okay, yeah. All right. And then the the truck driver who rear-ended the family basically is kind of on his own and is in the truck. So it's the slowest vehicle and is just trying to keep up. But then like his truck kind of goes out. He ends up, he rear-ends them. He can't drive. So he like takes a kid's bike and he, flags someone to stop and give him a lift who ends up being Otto Meyer, the man in glasses. And he tells him the whole story. He's like, look, you got to get me there. And Otto Meyer ends up taking off without him doing the trip on his own and abandoning. What was the truck driver's name? Pike. Pike. And so now Pike's furious. He catches up to this guy uh, after Otto Meyer blows a tire and basically destroys a gas station trying to yep. go after him. And it's, it's my father's favorite scene. <laughs> it's, I mean, for good cause. It's amazing. He basically <laughs> just as a human being hulks out and destroys a building. Yeah. A building made of plyboard, but you know, still. <laughs> and he then he ends up like in the truck that he steals from the gas station, ends up catching up with the mother and the daughter, and then the three of them go. And basically that's how they navigate their way to, to Santa Rosita Park. Mm-hmm. And then we've got what Dingy I refer Benji. to as the two knuckleheads. <laughs> but yes, what happens so- with them? So I can't remember what ends up happening to their car. I think they just decide to rent a plane. I think, yeah. they, I think, I think they just decide we, are, we need to fly. So they go to charter a plane. They, they, get, they, go, they get to the plane yard second after Sid Caesar and his wife. And they're like, Bud! and the, the pilot there tells them that t- uh, 10, 11 miles down the road is another plane yard. But it's basically a country club. And yeah. so and, and and so they end up meeting the professor from Gilligan's Island oh. <laughs> who plays Mr. Fitzgerald. And they and he's a drunk. And they convince him, this drunk man, to fly his plane with these guys on it uh, and, and make up a lie that their grandmother's dying or something to get to Santa Rosita. But unfortunately, while they are flying the plane, Mr. Fitzgerald bumps his head and passes out drunk at the back of the plane, leaving Dingy and Benji to fly the plane on their own, which is my favorite <laughs> sequence of the film. Because they absolutely... its it, I... I the only deleted scene from the extended cut of the Criterion Collection that I really genuinely enjoyed, which was in the original film, are the scenes with the air traffic control guys because everything they cut with them is gold. Like, I just, one of my favorite lines in the entire film is when this absolutely manic, like, gung-ho, you know, like, marine of an air traffic control guy is like, men, grab that stick, men. I'm going to get you on the ground. I'm, you know, calm and steady, men. <laughs> and one of the air traffic controller guys just looks at me. He's like, you're doing great, Captain. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. Just a pure, unadulterated admiration. You're, you're doing a great job, Captain. <laughs> and I, I'm not entirely certain how they filmed it. I'm sure it was like screens and projections and everything because, like, they are showing a plane going absolutely. I think they nuts. did stunt flying. I think they oh, did stunt flying to. for sure. I and it is one of the funny things about this film of like at the time the budget must have been just astronomical because yeah they built a whole gas station that they then tore down. They the they budget did stunt at flying. The time. The, the 1963 budget for this movie is $9,400,000. <laughs> so probably like $100 million today, which again, with all the star power is absurd. Like that's... Yeah. I don't know how they made... It, it really goes to show how inflated things are today, especially because like all the practical effects they did in this just wild. 
Well, uh, it paid off because the budget was nine million. They made forty six million, which this is I, a smash I, I, hit of smash hits. Yeah, yeah. I, I wonder what adjusted for inflation that would be. But even still, I mean, that's it's you know five ten times the budget. So yeah. absolutely amazing. Good for them. Um, <laughs> but yeah. So then, meanwhile, all of this stuff is being monitored by uh, by the police. And then Captain T.G. Culpepper basically shows up when they're digging up the suitcase, which turns out is there and is full of the money. Mm-hmm. And then he basically reveals the fact that he's a cop. And he's like, I mean, unless you all want to go to the go to jail, you better give me the money right now. And they're like, yeah, okay. Because all get... of them committed some form of crime at some point during yes, this. <laughs> 100%. And... And they, they, and they agree. We'll go turn ourselves in. It'll be fine. Nothing bad will happen to us. We just like acknowledge the fact that we did these bad things. But then they realize that he took off and didn't head back in the same direction they did. And they're like, "Wait, he has all the money." And so yep. then they turn around and start chasing him down. And it's one big final showdown in this abandoned building where they're basically all fighting over the money. And then the suitcase gets opened and the money blows away over the whole crowd. Yep. And then they all pretty much get injured, with the exception of the female characters who did not participate in this rambunctious uh, final showdown. And then the final scene is them all just in the hospital, all beaten up and bruised and everything. And then Mrs. Marcus slips on a banana, because <laughs> it's that yep. kind of movie. And that's the thing that makes them all laugh. And like, we're all going to be okay. The person yep. we hate the most is hurt. <laughs> Exactly, because she is awful. Like I, 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 part of me was like, man, part of this is a little sexist and doing the things, and it was like, no, no, she's just the worst. That's yeah, fair. No, she can be I, the worst. I, I think that that's why I, I don't mind that character, especially because Ethel Merman is the the actress. Ethel well Merman done. is just absolutely killing it in that role, and and she is a character where like. <sighs> she's allowed to be bad she's allowed to be terrible and also she's not the only terrible person in the film too i think they're all a little terrible in their own ways so it's i i i forgive it for that reason for sure um yeah and 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 she she has basically everything she ever has coming to her she sort of gets herself into situations where it's like Okay, lady, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's also, like, they didn't necessarily start as bad people. Like, at the beginning where they're trying to figure out and work out a deal and it just doesn't work for any of them. The, Sid Caesar's really trying to make it work so that everyone ends up happy. There's a whole moment where it's like, and by the way, because we're just finding this money, we don't have to pay taxes on it. And then Pike, the truck driver, is like, we, of course we have to pay taxes. <laughs> we're proud Americans. We're doing the right thing. Of course, this is something we have to pay taxes on. Even we have to businessmen who lie and steal, even they have to pay taxes. Yeah, <laughs> I love that line. That's such a funny line that to 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 keep you know today in a modern context. Mm-hmm. I, I, there's, yeah, there's so much stuff that just like which of it, course it he's sho- wrong, but it it show it shows you that is the the more things change, the more they stay the same in a yeah. lot of ways. <laughs> it's. Yeah, so I, it's more just like the, the the how much money corrupts and just like the the craziness of this moment. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's bananas. <laughs> okay, so that's kind of the movie as it exists. You said you have things in mind to like obviously make it more diverse, more a little bit more modernized. What do you have in mind? What what are we doing for? It's a mad 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 world. So definitely a, a, a more racially diverse cast. I would say that that's one of the that's yeah. that's the one way I think it has aged poorly because it, the, the cast is just all white. 
I agree. We'll get to casting later, but in terms of like plot right now. Sure. And so we've, we've talked a little bit about like, so this takes place in 1963 when it was made. And I, I think that there are certain things that, that make me not want to do a full on modern remake just because I kind of hate every movie after 2010 just by being forced by the era of dealing with smartphones and social media. Like you, you kind of can't ignore that it exists in any movie after 2010. And I just like, don't want it to exist. Like, just, just like, I, do, I don't want to have to deal with it or not even for like a plot hole reason. I just don't even want my characters to be obligated to acknowledge that Facebook exists. And then there are a couple things that are just made a little bit easier to adapt this script. If you, if you are limited a little on technology, And as well, we talked about the fact that this is a showcase of comedians. This is a showcase of talent. But I also kind of don't think that it's a good idea to do a modern day showcase of talent because oftentimes it becomes a little bit like attempts to remake the the Feed the World Christmas song from the 80s. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Where it's like, oh... we don't know if these people are legends yet kind of energy. Whereas mm-hmm. I feel like when this was made in 1963, either these people we knew were legends or they kind of didn't, don't need to be, you know, in our context, a lot of them, I, I don't know who they are anymore, but the movie still works. I don't want it to, I don't want the casting to be distracting is kind of what I'm getting at. Except, for the, except I would disagree in the sense that like there are moments where it kind of needs to be distracting because that's the point of the character. Like there's a couple of different times in the movie when it's cameos. Just, like, cameos. The cameo shows up, they're there for a little bit, and then they leave. Like there's certainly people who are I'm like, I get that this person is a reference and they're doing a thing. Like there's a moment when, when uh, the family is pulled over and they're having their big fight. And like the mother-in-law puts the keys down her shirt and basically someone pulls over and says, Hey, are you guys okay? Does anyone need help? And she shouts at the sky. It's Benny. What's his face? Jack Benny. Jack Benny. And she basically says, no, we don't need you. Get out of here. And they, for like 15 seconds, just hold on this guy as his face just falls. And he's like, Oh, well, okay. (laughs) And I'm like, all right. Clearly this is something. Yeah, that was Jack Benny. Uh, and then Don Knotts kind of has something like that as well. He just sort of shows up. The three stooges show up silently. And yeah, I think that's okay. I think that like there's there's a temptation, I think, with the main cast to... to you got to walk that line between somebody who's recognizable but isn't just like... You, you, you don't necessarily want it to be... You don't want it to be Amsterdam. <laughs> no. You, no. You don't want to go full A-lister with it. I think I think like regional or like um like like time-based is sort of the way to go. So I want to do a Mad 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 World that is set in the early 90s. Perfect. And I want and I want my casting to be as as 90s sort of motivated as I mm. can. So you'll see okay. that in a lot of the casting of like, oh, that's a person who was like really peaked in the nineties. And so it's almost like a time capsule retrospective of a comedy era that has already passed. And we can kind of look back on and be like, these are the people who really made that decade. And also it doesn't feel so A-listery and and distracting because a lot of these people are people who did peak in the nineties or, or, or in the early two thousands. So it's, it's got the nostalgia factor to it without just sort of being like a, a Rolodex of, you know, actors. <laughs> I, yeah. I mean, early nineties makes perfect sense to me. What I did with my casting is every car 
is a style of like a different kind of like iconic modern though comedy. So like oh, okay. I've got this kind of modern comedy, this kind of modern comedy, this kind of modern, but and that's how I broke down the individual cars. And so Ooh. I put, picked people from those kinds of shows. And then obviously for my for my dying criminal, I I picked a ninety, I picked the nineties star of like okay, it's this person dying, and now these people take over and do the rest of the movie. Um, so so a time period wise, did you set it in? Uh, I didn't. Modern- I didn't think about it. Work. I, I also agree that cell phones are kind of a problem. Early 90s, fine with me. I'm more than happy for this to be early 90s. What I think we should do is early 90s is great. I think we need to figure out location mm-hmm. and then kind of like figure out some like plot points for all of them. And then this movie is so cast dependent. I do think we will eventually get to casting a little bit early. But then I also have a section for us both for just various cameos. <laughs> and we'll just get all of them. And I figure what we'll do is say, here's what I had in mind for these various, like, this is what I think this cameo would be. And here's what I think this cameo would be. And I just like, and like, okay, great. That exists. And then we move on. (laughs) I mostly just have a list of leftover actors that I feel should be there somewhere, but I didn't know where to put them. (laughs) Yeah. That's perfectly fine with me. But yeah, so I, in terms of like location, the movie as it is takes place somewhere in the desert between LA and Vegas and Arizona. I don't necessarily understand what highway they're all on other than like, cause some of them are heading to Vegas. Some of them are heading to LA and some of them are heading to and, and up, heading and to Yuma. Pike I is think. heading to Yuma. And so <laughs> I don't know what highway is heading to all three of those places. <laughs> yeah. I, well, and also Santa Rosita state park is not a real place. I'm pretty sure. No. And I, I'm not, I think Santa Rosita might not even be a real, that like that whole area. I don't know. I just remade the lost boys and they, I think it was Santa Clara in that, but I think it's like, or Santa, I think Santa Clara is real. Santa Carla is lost boys and that's not. Mm. So I think Santa Rosita is a spoof on Santa Rosa. I don't mm. know. Yeah, so so all things being considered, it sort of already exists in a made-up location in its own way. It's it's sort of like the GTA version of California. Sure. <laughs> the, the reason why I bring it up is because I think a fun opportunity for cameos is if they do have to pass through LA, and that way you can do like a bunch of like, I'll spoil this, like one of my cameos is like Margot Robbie or whatever, and you put her as one of the dress-up characters on Hollywood Boulevard. And in my head, I would say, have her dress up as Batman. <laughs> and just like, do the thing, but to slightly to the left. And just like weird shit like that. And just like, we had like, especially in the 90s, we had the opportunity for like big things. Like we can, I think it'd be fun to have them pass through Vegas, pass through LA on their way to some, to Santa Barbara, or I'm sorry, uh, Santa Bonnie. <laughs> something like that Santa Buffy yeah Santa Buffy <laughs> <laughs> something like that I like like just trying to track it down because literally I feel like you could get from like on a good day it's four or five hours from Vegas to LA and then another two three hours from LA to Santa Barbara ish and if you play your cards right like you literally have this thing happen at eight nine o'clock in the morning they get to LA sometime between lunch and dinner. And then you get to like dinner time and everything shuts down in, in this small town. 
I think Assuming it's there's no traffic. <laughs> I think it's interesting to think about the idea of like one one possible change from the original film. So the original film definitely takes place over the course of like eight hours in a day. Mm-hmm. There's no like there's no nighttime, like there's no it's all one day. Yeah. Whereas you could potentially actually have it take place over a couple days and have like night scenes and that sort of stuff that could make things interesting. Is that what happens in Rat Race? I don't remember. Because they have to go yeah. like across the country. Rat Race is much longer time span. I think it's several days. I feel like that diminishes it. I mm. think it has to take place over a single day just because... It feels better if it's in real time. Just dramatically, it's just like, it's it, it's it's today. It's happening today. We got to do the thing today. And I, I think that if we pause to sleep... We lose our momentum. <laughs> now, I never said anything about sleeping. Sure. <laughs> but like, even if it's night, all of a sudden, it's hard to watch a plane do loop-de-loops and nearly crash at night. <laughs> yes, especially because, so so I should probably preface this by saying, so writer and director is something that we choose as well. And it's probably important to note that my my idea for the writing is actually to not change the script. <laughs> Whoa. Okay. So that does that does recontextualize things because so my my concept for it's a mad 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 world is that it is Shakespeare. It is Shakespeare. Ah. You keep every word with the exception of like a couple of jokes. I think there's a couple Mrs. Marcus looks like a man jokes that should be cut because I'm like, mm, that those that's the one joke that I feel doesn't age well should go. But other than that, I think like it's pretty much just the perfect script. <laughs> and, and, and so I'm sort of like, yeah, no, I kind of, with the exception of like contextual pronoun changes or like, you, you know, like to, to, to fit the casting, like if, if you if you change the gender of any characters or anything like that, I, I would keep the same script. <laughs> so not, to, but again, Santa Rosita is also fictional. So we don't have to say that like the location is identical. And a lot of the, a lot of the locations in the script are sort of never verbalized. So you can sort of still have the flexibility of changing the set pieces and changing the locations a little bit. You could change the time of day. You could change, you could change the time period as well. But yeah, I, I kept the script same. <laughs> Bold move. I, I think one of the things we don't really think about in updating a script, in this case, it'll be 30 years instead of 60 years, is that there's a lot of subtle, subtle language differences that make sense when we hear them coming out of the mouths of people from the 60s. But then we move forward 30 years and it, it would feel like Shakespeare in the sense that like when people are saying Shakespeare, they're speaking in a Shakespearean era dialect. Mm-hmm. And Oftentimes people, when you do updated versions of Shakespeare, just the same story, but with modern context of, I guess, not clueless. Uh, What's the 10 things I hit about you? Oh, yeah. Where it is the same story, but it's now it's in a language that we can all understand. Mm -hmm. And I have I have a hyphenate writer director team, but I think that it's important. Like, obviously, it's a team that would honor and pay tribute to the thing as it exists, but we'll keep like make it in such a way that we're like, oh yeah, this is how people talk and behave 30 years later. Mm-hmm. But that's a conversation we can have later. So I guess theoretically that means that you don't have a lot of plot changes uh, and stuff, which is fine. I don't have a lot either. It's still very good. I think that 
the dentist renting a plane, getting stuck in the basement of a hardware store. I think the the husband, wife, and mother-in-law, I have people sniping at each other. I don't necessarily have like just straight up take my wife, take my mother, please joke. Yeah, yeah. Like I'm not doing that. I think the furniture truck driver I think is very funny. And we get to, like, there's just the moment when uh, Otto Meyer takes off after leaving him behind and you just watch him just be big, sad. And you're just like, yep. oh no, buddy. I'm so, I'm so desperately curious to know if we ended up casting the same person for that. Because my, my Pike is the one where I will like ride or die for. <laughs> uh, we're going to see. I think that there's really only one person who can play that role. And I'm excited to see what happens. <laughs> well, because mine's not from the 90s. Mm. Mine are contemporary performers. Interesting. Uh, so, I, And I think we'll end up with a mix. But, like, the two knuckleheads, like, being just behind everybody else and just all of a sudden, like, getting yeah. this plane and, like, having to fly a plane is just genuinely very funny. And I also love the idea of them wrecking a bunch of rich people's shit. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Uh, leaning a little bit more into that could be very, very fun. Those that they were the hardest ones for me to cast because um, the one change contextually that I would like to make with those characters is I would actually like to make them a couple. Like I, I, I yeah, I I want them to actually canonically be a couple. So I was trying to be like two manic gays, <laughs> <laughs> and actually, but but not Billy Eichner. No. I gender swapped one of them. Ooh. And they're certainly manic, but I did not make them a couple. And then, yeah, like, I think, and I and I would say make the cops even more corrupt. Oh, yeah. Of, like, the cops are intentionally, like, I, I do think it's a fun twist that Culpepper takes off, but we kind of see it coming the whole time. Of I think they should just be, like, saying full-on cop speak of, like, these guys are resisting. They've lied to authority and just like really lean into just like a, how dare they not do exactly as we say, we're the police. Especially because even in context, it's like these people are trying to get ahead financially in a system where like they can't. And of course the police are there to stop that from happening. Yeah, of course. That's what the police are for is just keep is maintaining the status quo and protecting the rich people. Mm -hmm. So even said, we can even have something I didn't cast and is only occurring to me now is we can have the cops being like, this money's been gone. It's been buried for 15 years. And all of a sudden they can be reaching out to just like the crippled, decrepit rich person who wants for nothing and needs for nothing. And they're just constantly bowing at and, and saying, whatever you need, we're going to get you your money back, sir. Absolutely. What we're going to get oh, it for you. Yeah. <laughs> as, this, as this person like feeds themselves another full uncut truffle. <laughs> Especially a, if it really, if, if you do, if you do keep the idea of like it was a tuna factory robbery or something yeah. like that, because again, corporation, basically mm-hmm. that it was corporate money that was stolen in the yeah. original. It wasn't from an individual, so it's like, yeah, no, you have like a board of directors just like on a yacht or something, being yeah. like, get us back our five million from our factory safe <laughs> or whatever. Honestly, it was. so that's the next question: How much money needs to be buried in Santa Rosita? Um, I would say I would update it uh, to to be similar. So like ten million is probably what I would. I was pretty good. Yeah, it would it would need to be at least that. It would need yeah. to be a, a big chunk of change. Yeah, and it would need to be not a not a attaché case, but just a duffel bag. 
just a duffel bag. Because <laughs> well, like there, it's a it's a it's an attaché case full of hundreds in the movie, and that's it's pretty full. So yeah, it, like it's still packed full of hundreds, but there's just a lot more of them. It's just a single USB uh, drive with a bunch of Bitcoin on it. I I mean, <laughs> look, that's the we that that guy who that's lost his futuristic one. <laughs> the, the the guy who lost his uh, equ- uh, encrypt key and basically lost all of his money. All of a sudden, it's just the encrypt key. <laughs> That's a that's a different remake. Early nineties, yeah, yeah, double yeah, bag. Yeah. Let's go with that. Also, I'm although pretty actually, sure that guy that guy died horribly. Although actually, early nineties, I would say ten million is still uh, ten million is great for the early nineties. That's still a yeah. ludicrous amount of money for the early nineties. Oh, yeah. But like for us today, it would still be a good bet. So I'd oh, say yeah, sure. t- t- ten million is good. And it's also if we're stealing corporate money, that's yeah. corporate money. Yeah, like it's it's hard to write off ten million dollars unless you're canceling a Batwoman or a Batgirl. <laughs> right. And even still, that shouldn't be illegal. That should be illegal. Whatever. <laughs> anyway, and like I think the man in the glasses works. I think like our <laughs> our uh, metaphor for sex is probably fine. We, we just use <laughs> grunge instead of swing music. <laughs> it's all good. They can shake it like a Polaroid picture. It's fine. And I, I will at some point remember who I wanted to play Sylvester. <laughs> at some point, your partner is going to return your text and it's going to be this big, important moment. He replied, Kevin Hart. And I said, no, no. it wasn't Kevin Hart. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> and then he never got back to me. And it's like, Austin, ah. come on, you'll let me down here. <laughs> That's disappointing. Well, I'll give you a few minutes to file the divorce papers. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I like. I think at this point we're dancing around it enough. Let's just talk about our characters. Sure. So let, let's start with our dying criminal. Who oh my do you God. have in mind to kick the bucket? I have so I I'm just gonna have to like pick one because there's so many different directions you could go with with this. You could go with like legendary '90s comedian who mm-hmm. you know makes the big cameo. You could go with it's weird if one of us did that. You you could you could do like a. Uh, uh, another sort of recognizable but like more a-lister actor who occasionally does comedy and then you could go like full on serious as a heart attack oscar nominee <laughs> <laughs> it's true and i and i sort of have all of them and i'm like oh fuck me i don't mm. so i i think what would be funniest in terms of like the crossover of all of those things kind of in one is Samuel L. Jackson. I think wow, Samuel L. Jackson, okay. he's a little bit of a safe casting for that, but he's sure. got the ni- he's got the 90s appeal. He's he's got the A-list appeal, but he's also he would also be very fucking funny delivering you it's buried under a big fucking W. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's really good. That's ve- it's very 90s. It's very it's very now. It's very yeah. he he would be really really good. I also like was like who because I'm I'm casting like people who are like epitomize different styles of comedy now. Mm-hmm. I wanted to take someone who was the big star in the nineties and be like, okay, great. This person's dying, passing it along. But who also is an incredible dramatic actor who can do all these different kinds of comedy. And like you pair him with all these different people and they're just like, Oh my God, I have to act a, a opposite this guy. Ugh. And so I feel like the, the way to do that for me was that like, it kind of has to be Jim Carrey. I've, Jim Carrey was on my short list as well, yeah. actually. So, so just like no. this guy, like especially someone who's like who dies and then realizes that 
<gasps> yeah. Like, he's yeah, literally yeah. done that bit before. Yeah, I, 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 he was definitely on my short list for sure. So I, no objections to that. I was, I've been trying to figure out kind of where to put Jim in general. And I kind of never really ended up with any good place. But if I, if I had to put him somewhere, like if, if you, if, if, if Jim Carrey was just like, I will finance this movie if you give me a role, <laughs> I, I would put him in Smiler Grogan's spot. Yeah. Like that would, that would be the way to go. So I, I'm going to give you that one. I think that's right. the way to go. Thank you. <laughs> Then uh, the next ones, I, the next ones I have were, and I did these as cars. So dentist and wife. Uh, you uh-huh. went first for the last one, so I'm happy to go first for this one. Uh, for dentist and wife, I mean, Sid Caesar was a very specific kind of sketch comedian. That's not what I did here. That said, I love Sid Caesar. Uh, one of my favorite plays of all time is the Neil Simon play "Laughter on the Twenty Third Floor," which is basically about working in the my show of shows writers room, and I got to be in that play, and I got to be Lucas. It was awesome. And so I genuinely have a very warm and special place in my heart for Sid Caesar. And so I went with another show that I have a very warm and special place in my heart of like straight down the middle comedy's comedy, but basically just like the perfect epitome of a, like, this is appeals to everybody super good. And so I went with people from the good place. I wanted hmm. William Jackson Harper and Darcy Carden. Oh, William Jackson Harper would be pretty good. And and Darcy Cart yeah Darcy Carden she actually she deserves to be in this at some in some capacity for sure she's lovely. So I, what I, I think we'll do is we'll go through all the cars and then we'll mm-hmm. say all of our things. They'll be like okay this one will pair with this one this one will pair with this yeah, one. Yeah yeah. Like I think I, our our cars will remain singular, but we'll we'll mix around who gets what. Yeah, I think William Jackson Harper for me. I I would. I would put him someplace else because I th- I think he's maybe more Finchy to me. Um, I, I and I ended up going with for my my Melville the dentist. Um, I I went with somebody who is basically the modern day equivalent of Sid. I I went very very similar. It, it, the guy even looks like him a little bit. Um, but but I, I went for somebody who really epitomizes slimy rich. Also has a little bit of a '90s connection and is fucking hysterical is is a very very funny comedic actor and i so i went with kieran culkin okay. uh, and i've been i'm sold on his performance after secession uh when he was playing roman roy i mean roman roman roy as melville the dentist is is potentially very very funny very similar though to the original uh yeah. not not really a reinterpreted role at all i did go reinterpreted with monica though because i his wife because i feel like monica has Definitely more to do as a comedian than the other female lead, Emmeline. Emmeline's very much a straight woman. Like she, mm-hmm. she's very much there to be the straight man. Whereas Monica, and, and even the actress who originally played Monica was a very well-known comedian. She was known for being funny. And I just feel like she doesn't have maybe enough to do in the original film. But I want to put a very funny woman there who can just sort of organically play well against Kieran Culkin. So I chose Amber Ruffian. Oh, okay. Amber Ruffian has this beautiful sort of like innocence about her. <laughs> and and she just sort of brings this like cheerful energy to uh to any situation and but also like can be very direct in her sort of well that happened sort of cheerfulness. Yeah. And I just love watching her work and I think that Monica should be a character who like is trying to be optimistic but is also like Melville. <laughs> <laughs> 
And so, yeah, Am Amber Ruffian and Kieran Culkin is, uh, is, is my pairing there. I think that they could be an interesting dynamic for the Dennis and his wife. That's really funny. I like both those choices quite a bit. I think you'll probably end up getting those. <laughs> Tell me about your uh, husband, wife, and mother-in-law. Right. So I, I, like I said, William Jackson Harper, uh, would, would, it definitely yeah. captures sort of the energy that I went for with my Finch because mm -hmm. Finch is a character who's just like, you can see he's dead behind the eyes <laughs> and he's, and he's just like, he's so down on his luck. He invested all of his money in a seaweed eating, an edible seaweed business, which funny enough, $4 a can in their universe scales up to $40 a can by our standards. Wow. He was selling edible seaweed for $40 a can. And the problem is that he was far too ahead of his time. Exactly. So, so I, I kind of want a guy who's like in his forties, just so tired and about to like <laughs> break. And so I chose Donald Glover. Oh, because, man. okay. Because I feel like Donald Glover can very easily just like snap. Like he looks like he's on the edge of snapping in community all of the time. And he could really bring that. And then for his wife, Emmeline, again, she's sort of the straight woman, but I feel like everybody in this movie should have some kind of comedy chops. And again, sort of a, a 90s connection. I ended up choosing Anne Hathaway. Um, oh, Anne, okay. ha Anne, Anne Hathaway has this kind of like dignity about her that Emmeline has and sort of this like I'm above it all sort of energy that Anne can play really well because she's done that so often in dramatic roles. But Princess Diaries, I mean, she's definitely done slapstick before. She's definitely done comedy roles before, too. And then for her mother, sort of like the mother-aged appropriate for Anne Hathaway, legendary 90s Mrs. Marcus, I picked Sandra Bullock. Interesting. Okay. Because I think Sandra Bullock... It's very Marcus funny. Is, ...is hysterical. Mrs. Marcus is a tough role because she's a character that you don't want to cast... Like, she's a very shrill character, and you kind of have to be careful with who you cast in that role, because, like, certain castings can be a little just like, oh, my God, you're, like, presenting a stereotype of somebody. And so I feel like Sandra Bullock being, like, overbearing mother-in-law and just, like, ragging on this guy this entire time, as well as her son and, you know, just everybody around her. I feel like Sandra can pull that off in a way that is entertaining to watch and doesn't fall into some sort of like, like sexist presentation or yeah. like stereotypical presentation. I feel like she could do something interesting with that role. I, I think Sandra Bullock is really good because she often will surprise you with the, with the brilliance of her choices. And that's yeah. what, that's why she's like so good. And I think everything she's ever done. Yeah. And I also don't think this is a the type of role she's really had before. It's um, not. You know, and, she and tends like, to try to play younger. Yeah, exactly. And and I think that like her, she, she's maybe not quite old enough to be Anne Hathaway's mother. I think Anne's like 39 and she's like 58 or something like yeah. that. I think, I think it's like right on the razor's edge. But I think like in the original film, you know, we had a, a woman who definitely looked older and it would be tempting to be like, well, I'll, I'll cast like Helen Mirren or somebody in that role. Mm -hmm. You know, somebody who like looks older, quote unquote. But these days, like, women in their 60s julianne moore is 62 like julianne moore is age appropriate for that role but you know you kind of have to think of like all right so like an age appropriate woman for that role who is very funny who is maybe big in the 90s like sandra bullock was the one who just kind of came to mind yeah that's not bad what i did for this particular car is so 
because I, I like I was intentionally shuffling shuffling around personalities. Mm-hmm. Like my personalities are different. I have the wife. What what was the wife's name? Emmeline. Emmeline. Emmeline kind of be like the big loud. I can't believe you're doing this. What's going on? And then just like kind of a different vibe from the mother in law. So I my car is specifically British comedians. Oh, okay. And it's British comedians who are very popular and all, they all themselves have different vibes, but like, I didn't think there was any other place I could put these people. But like, when you're talking about modern comedy and comedy that we all appreciate and like watch and do different things with now, there's just different, like, there's no question that like the British invasion, whatever you want to call it, of just comedy is absolutely everywhere. I mean, everyone loves Taskmaster Great British Bake Offs and all the various different mm-hmm. things. And it's just brings everybody so much joy. But you want to talk about someone who can absolutely play dead behind the eyes and full of just sadness is James Acaster. Hmm. Who is that? I have not seen him act in anything. I've only actually seen uh, the mother-in-law act in things. But like, so my, so James Acaster is a very popular, like if anyone knows British comedy, they'll be like, oh, James Acaster. Obviously, I love him. And then the wife, I went with Catherine Ryan, who is technically Canadian, but I know her from all like the British comedy things. Um, Catherine Ryan. She Uh, she looks familiar. Yeah, she is often on all like the Jimmy Carr different shows because like she and Jimmy Carr are friends and she give her 20 years and she could absolutely play the mother-in-law, but that's not uh, where she is right now. She can kind of play more just like that i can't believe this is happening what are we doing oh my god (laughs) but she also uh this is a huge spoiler for taskmaster which is a a show that everyone should watch but in season two the season that she's on like Catherine ryan comes off as kind of like a like she comes off as kind of a ditzy blonde but she's genuinely brilliant and in a show about coming up with creative solutions and doing interesting things she won she won season two of taskmaster she's very very smart so if you want someone in, and James Acaster did terribly in his season of Taskmaster. So he comes off very smart and putting together these incredible connections, but it's kind of dumb. She comes off kind of dumb, but puts, but is in fact incredibly smart. And the person in the back row sniping at both of them and being cutting and hilarious and being just the perfect mother-in-law for the entire time. Who else would be better for that than Eddie Izzard? So so she, I put her somewhere else and then I ended up replacing her with somebody. So actually Eddie Izzard ha- being the mother-in-law is brilliant. You can definitely have that one. Thank you. <laughs> but like, I mean, like, if you want to, if, even if you want to lean into the stereotype, who better? <laughs> but yeah, that's, that's who I had for that particular car. For my Pike, my furniture truck driver, the one we're going to really fight over, we I, it's someone who can just be funny singularly on their own. And it's someone who both can display a lot of trust and hope and desire to be like, hey, we can do this together. We can pay taxes. It's going to be great. And just like you watch them be sad, but then also you can just watch them just fill with just so much rage that it just cannot be contained. And it's someone who has to be able to be funny on their own and mm-hmm. also be funny paired with anybody. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't think of someone who would be better than that than this style of comedy from what we do in the shadows. I went with Harvey Guyen. 
Ooh, I know a few people from what we do in the shadows, but I don't know him. Who is this? Guillermo, the assistant. Oh, yeah. No, I haven't. I'm, I'm not familiar with this actor, unfortunately. <laughs> That's fine. Queer icon Harvey Guyen has passed you by. That's fine. Oh, I would. He'd be a. He'd be a great Benji. <laughs> <laughs> we might end up shuffling things around. I'm sure he would be. I'm writing him down. He definitely looks so much like Benji. Oh, man. And queer. I've been looking for a queer actor for Benji. <laughs> okay, writing that down. So my casting, again, 90s motivated. I, I went with somebody who I felt could evoke Jonathan Winters sort of the, the best. I mean, I, 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 this was another one where I was like that, that, that original casting was so perfect. So I went with somebody who was very similar. Also, I wanted it to be motivated by who plays Otto. So I'm mm. also going to talk about who I cast as my Otto because I feel like the fact that they have so much screen time together, I, I, I felt like having these two kind of actors have this like meta rivalry throughout the film would kind of lend itself to being something interesting. So I picked Brendan Fraser as Pike. Oh, yeah. Okay, that's interesting. And then for Otto, I picked Eddie Murphy. So ah. having Brendan Fraser and Eddie Murphy, who are these two like very, very big 90s stars who you kind of don't see as much in things anymore. Again, like they're so recognizable. We love them from the 90s and, and from the 80s in some cases. Eddie Murphy's in Candy Cane Lane, available now. Well, and Brendan Fraser was just in The Whale. Yeah. So they, they, you know, they both kind of like pick and choose their projects these days. Mm -hmm. But but certainly not at movie a year, A-list or top billing of like, you know, like, oh, I no. got to go see the new Brendan Fraser movie sort of energy. And I think Brendan Fraser also has so much physical capability, like the, the capability, not, maybe not anymore because he had so many stunt injuries from the mummy and stuff. But like the, the physical comedy, I think Brendan Fraser does really, really well. Like I can picture him tearing down a gas station i feel yes. like that is something that like i physically buy from him and he does slapstick really well and eddie murphy what sells me on him playing auto is actually his scene from tower heist where he pretends to be the bank manager <laughs> and he dresses up in the suit with his glasses and he's just like he has this amazing ability to be two-faced yes. and to, to kind of like smile and say like oh yeah tell me all about it i'm i'm i'll help you out and then just be like ha ha and then like drive off and yeah. just be real really really sneaky i think like eddie murphy is so so good at that and so entertaining to watch like i think that he's played a couple characters before where it's like you love to hate that guy yeah absolutely. and and so that that's my motivation for uh for otto and pike that's good i yeah my auto i went with pure chaos gremlin energy and this is my one snl person mm. and possibly one of the bigger names in that i have just in general uh like you want pure chaos gremlin energy you go with kate mckinnon that's also a good cast so she's the she's the gender swap she uh i've done a couple gender swaps but she's one cool. of the gender swaps cool yeah no i think that's definitely an opportunity to do one yeah and like <laughs> one queer icon versus another yeah <laughs> i have kate, kate mckinnon on my short list and i couldn't figure out what to do with her so yeah no that could be definitely a fun one especially 
it, it would it would it, I, I do feel like both of ours have to come as a set though i think i, I yeah. think yours work is a set of mine work is a set i don't think yes. eddie murphy works with your actor and i don't think brendan fraser works with kate mckinnon no it for the cast that i have eddie murphy best would fit as the dying criminal at the beginning as a replacement for jim carrey right but i don't even think that's the right that's a role a good enough role for him like i think eddie right. murphy would need to be like if anything eddie murphy would be a really good cap uh captain tg culpepper hmm I went serious as a heart attack with Culpepper because Culpepper was originally Spencer Tracy. So I was like, that was, that was another high end dramatic actor who can also be very funny. (laughs) I absolutely did not. And uh, I'm sure you'll get that. But before we do that, let's talk about our two knuckleheads. Uh, you're going to beat me on this one. Cause like I, this was where I, w- I really struggled because in the effort to make them a couple, I was like, well, I want to, I want to cast two, two gay actors. Yeah. And I was, I found some, but like there was like a 30 year age difference. And like, oh, like I, I, I was just really struggling here. Um, but I, I do think your actor, you said his name was Harvey. Harvey Guyen. Har- I, I have him as Pike. I don't have him as as this, but continue. I I, I think now I, I'm sold on Harvey Guyen as uh, <laughs> as Benji. Like I think that that would be great. He's still a little young though. For my dinghy, I picked Mario Cantone. I don't know who that is. Mario Cantone's probably the one actor on this list who is like a little bit of a deep cut. Mario Cantone plays. Uh, oh my god, I'm losing him. He uh, he plays a character on Sex in the City. Um, Anthony. Sure. <laughs> yes, he plays Anthony Marantino. Anthony, Anthony Marantino. Yes, and oh my gosh, you talk about like manic energy and just just like screaming at another character for most of his runtime. Mario Cantone absolutely brings that, and I because th- I, I feel like Benji is a little bit more innocent. He's a little bit more like I'm just here for the ride, whereas Dingy is the one who's like up in your face, being like, "We gotta do the thing." And so Mario is sort of like Mario is a little Billy Eichner esque, but I just I like him better. So that's sort of my motivation there. But I was also like I, I put Kumail Nanjiani. That was my original Benji. Mm. I was like he could be fun, but yeah, I I don't I don't really know what to do with these. I also thought could I gender swap them and make them lesbians? That could also be fun. That would I be think fun. Maybe- Kate McKinnon being one of them could be fun. I don't yeah. know. This those that's definitely my my weakest one, and maybe it is because they are my favorite characters. So I'm just like, oh, I don't know. Uh, yeah, there's so hard. many opportunities to change that dynamic and do things. I can't decide. One of the issues I run into on the podcast sometimes is like, especially if I love a character so much, is I just want to do something that recaptures their vibe so yeah. much. But like, it's one of those situations where you kind of need to go, okay, if they were actually doing this, we recognize that that was the vibe but we kind of need to not recognize the vibe, but recognize more the plot importance and what they're going to do. And we need chaos. And what better show right now represents chaos and a modern chaotic energy than always sunny in Philadelphia. Oh, so Charlie day. Perfect. Charlie day. And then I went with Caitlin Olson. Caitlin Olson. Don't know her. But but Charlie Day, perfect. Yeah. Per- perfect dinghy bell. So I went with like <laughs> the memorable guy and then the memorable girl from Always Sunny in Philadelphia. That's what I did. Because like that, that's, it's not, it's a completely different vibe than that they had then, but it is the modern reinterpretation of that kind of insanity. 
Interesting. Yeah, yeah. I, I again, I, I don't know her, but I, I think that gender swapping is definitely cool. And I also think that, I mean, you've sold me on Charlie Day 100%. That, that is exactly the type of person I was looking for, but couldn't nail because of my own arbitrary restrictions. <laughs> well, it sounds like the pairing you actually want is Charlie Day and Harvey Guyen. Yeah, yeah, that would work. <laughs> All right, let's get through Captain British Man and the Ringer, and then we'll iron everything out and figure out what we got. Okay? Got it. So my Captain T.G. Culpepper, who I think you're going to get this one, I wanted someone who could play, who could represent the system because he himself hates the system. Hmm. Someone who has been called to perform. I went with another uh, stand-up comedian, but I know he acts because I've seen him in things before. Is someone who like has been called to do White House correspondent dinners and then like has come off and told stand-up stories about this, about how it is the worst thing he's ever done. Because <laughs> he had to like stand next to Dick Cheney and not smack the man. Mm. And just someone who is just so full of rage. And when I think of, and he needs to be older because he needs to be like, I just need to mm. run away and just live and do my retirement, do the whole thing. And when I just think of someone who's just full of rage, the show that this man is representing is The Daily Show because it's Lewis Black. Lewis Black. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's the angry comedian with the fingers. And Lewis Black is very, very funny. He could, and he, you just dress him up like a cop and he'll look like a cop. But it's also just like, <laughs> you know, deep down in his, in his soul, he hates the fucking police. He hates yeah. them so much. He hates everything they represent. But he'll play them because he knows that he can make them look bad. Ooh. It's an interesting casting. That said, if you want serious as a heart attack, that's not Lewis Black. Right. <laughs> so I ended up going with, yeah, again, somebody very, very serious, very like, but also sort of tired. And and that's sort of, you know, the original interpretation of Cole, Pe- Cole Pepper as well is that like, he's just so done. Which, I mean, if you wanted to go more of like a sinister route with it, you could probably get away with this too, because he's really great at playing villains. Jeff Bridges? That'd be pretty funny. I think Jeff Bridges would be great. Like a clean shaven Jeff Bridges. How often do we see that? We don't see it very often, but I think he has the capability. I I don't know how often he's really done. Well, oh, Big Lebowski. So yeah, Yeah. yeah, he's done. He's done. He's definitely, he he can be funny. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But also I mean, serious dramatic actor, oh, Oscar-winning sure. dramatic actor. Yeah. Like it's it's Jeff Bridges. He's incredible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. All right, I'm gonna write down Jeff Bridges, and then so who did you have for? So we still haven't heard who you have for the brother. So I'm gonna I'm gonna leave that for last. Let's talk about the British man. Yes, I do uh, have somebody for that. Who did you have for the British man? I have Richard Iode. Richard Iowade. Ayoade from the IT crowd. Yeah, Richard uh, Ayoade is great. Uh, I did have a, I had a backup one too, but I look, but I, he didn't make the cut because I feel like he's already played a role that's too similar. Reese Darby basically played this character in Jumanji. Yeah, he played <laughs> like literally when you he they sit down in the car and he starts doing his crazy like stereotypical like goofy British voice, which isn't real. I'm like, oh, this is the voice Reese Darby did in Jumanji. It's also uh, that character is who Nigel Thornberry was based on. So, 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 uh, you know, Tim Curry comes to mind, like a younger Tim Curry comes to mind because he did Nigel Thornberry. But I think Mm -hmm. a modern day, like 
oh, I'm British and welcome to, oh, I got some cactus, you know, I yeah, think yeah. Rich, Richard does, uh, I could, could pull that off. <laughs> I, that's, yeah, Richard Iwate is great. He is very, very funny and I love Richard Iwate. Because I had British people elsewhere, I needed mm. someone who can play some sort of generically European and would have like just a different vibe from anyone else in the movie. Right. Like, uh, like you put him in the scene and, uh, and like you could see him butting heads with pretty much anybody. And, but also just charming and like despite the ridiculousness of what he's doing, being like, ah, we, we kind of love you, man. <laughs> and it's the kind of energy that allows you to see him in, in, let's say, Muppets Most Wanted dancing with a giant Muppet, dancing with the Sweetums. <laughs> and that's Christoph Waltz. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I like that too. <laughs> just like, just being the guy, just be, like, because like, he knows exactly the kind of characters he plays and can and can vacillate between serious as a heart attack and completely silly. And everything you see with him, you're just like, oh, you, you're just, you just seem like just such a nice guy. I do, I do think that character is an interesting one because he is definitely funny, but he is funny and kind of a... I'm funny because this is just who I am. Yeah. Uh, he's not like a joke making comedian like some mm-hmm. of the others. Like he doesn't have the zingers the way that some of the others. And also like the, the fucking bosoms monologue. <laughs> like That's delivered, so good. <laughs> delivered by Christoph Waltz would be brilliant. At, you think you Americans, you just love your bosoms. And it, <laughs> it makes no sense. And if there's one thing that we know... It's it's it just like, yeah, just going off. I love it. And then, yeah, the last thing I had is the brother. Oh, oh how And then I we'll wish... do various cameos in a minute, but like the brother. Oh, how I wish I could remember. So I'm just going to throw out John Mulaney and call it a day, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Great. I think that would be very funny. I mean, theoretically, it's the sort of thing uh, you could do with Oh God, who's the tattoo guy from King of Staten Island? Pete Pete Davidson. Pete Davidson. Oh, Pete Davidson would be perfect, actually. He would be my one SNL guy. Yeah. I so for me, I like we just need a ringer to help somebody else out. And so I didn't even pair him with the the husband, wife, mother-in-law. I decided to pair him or or her with the dentist and the wife. So I was like, if we're seeing people from the good place, we're going to want to see either Jamila Jamil or Jason Mendoza. Oh my God, Jason Mendoza would also be amazing. (laughs) And that's not even his name. (laughs) I know, I just fucked up. Uh, Hold on. Manny Jacinto. Manny Manny Jacinto would be a fucking amazing Sylvester. Yeah, yeah. I feel like regardless of who you, you give him to, like that's kind of like, I thought that would be just, you need craziness Manny Jacinto brings the craziness yeah and I I feel like as well if you want to pair him with the dentist and the wife especially because it makes sense because they're locked in the hardware store so I feel like they actually have a better reason to call somebody and try to get somebody to go do it on their behalf than the other characters who are sort of just like driving ambiently towards the to, towards their destination yeah um and, and as well like with amber ruffian and kieran colkin it's just like oh yeah you he, they know him like mm-hmm. he, he managed to they, they know him yeah. <laughs> 
But going down our list, all right, so Jim Carrey is going to be our dying criminal. The dentist and wife, I feel like we should do Kieran Colton and Amber Ruffian, though. Like, I feel like that's the correct way to go. I would push us towards James A. Castor, Catherine Ryan, and Eddie Izzard for our husband, wife, mother-in-law. I, I like going the British comedy route. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and a couple more deep cuts because I think even in the original, well, Milton Berle was the original sure. Finch, but I, I feel like feel like the wife and that was a little bit more obscure, a little bit more television focused. So yeah, I, 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 I'll go with that. That said, I feel like our furniture truck driver should be Brendan Fraser. I think that okay. makes sense. <laughs> I don't know that I want to do Eddie Murphy. Like I think pairing Brendan Fraser and Kate McKinnon is kind of funny. Of just like Brendan Fraser being betrayed by Kate McKinnon as she just drives <laughs> off into the sunset. And he's just there being like, oh no. <laughs> but I think doing Charlie Day and Harvey Guyen for the two knuckleheads okay. would be funny. Yeah, that works perfect. Oh, and I, I will also say that I, I did I did cast a Mr. Fitzgerald, a uh, a guy, the drunk guy who owns the plane that Dingy and Benji. So who are we pairing oh. Charlie Day and Harvey with? You tell me. I don't have a Mr. Fitzgerald, which means you just get to pick. Tom Hanks. Wow. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I well, want to see. Well, especially because it's a reveal. Fun. Because we when we first meet it's him, a he's reveal. Like in a mask. And then all of a sudden they take the mask off and he sits up and he's just like, what the fuck do you guys want? I, I want like the, the the reveal of the surprise drunk. You know, the original actor was very recognizable as well. Uh, and I, again, these names just escape me. I have them in my brain and then they vanish. There are a lot. There are so many. But like, I just like the idea of Tom Hanks showing up for three scenes, being plastered and then passing out yeah. in the back of a plane. It's perfect. I think that's incredible <laughs> casting. Uh, and then I think going with Jeff Bridges for Captain T.G. Culpepper is okay. excellent. I do want to push this to Kate McKinnon for Otto Meyer. Okay. Let's get more women in this. Yeah. And then I would push us towards Christoph Waltz. Uh, yeah, I, w- I would agree. As much as I love Richard Ayoade, and I do. And then I'm more than happy to go with John Mulaney. I feel like literally any one of these cars can be like, you know who we should call? And then it just turns <laughs> out to be John Mulaney. <laughs> that, that is also a little bit funny as well. And it gives it would give John Mulaney a chance to play a little bit more of a heel, which I, I think a lot of times he gets, he's trying to shake off his shiny boy image right now anyway. So it's just true. being this like, being this like guy, you know, smoking a cigar, you know, while a woman dances in his room. <laughs> hey, look, sometimes a cigar is just a cigar. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, good. Yeah, that could be fun. All right, cool. So that's our core cast. And then I just have a list of various cameos. So what right. I thought would be fun would be a just going through that, the cameos, just talking about how we see these people being integrated into the story just for their various kind of one-offs. Right. So, so um, I'll, I'll give you an example. So like I can do one, then you'll do one. And theoretically we get all of these because they're cameos. They could just sure. show up if, if, if uh, scheduling allows. Right. And we do have as well, the two cabbies, which are a little bit elevated cameos too, that we can throw people in. Did you cast them for the cameos for the cabbies? Not really. I mean, I, I just ambiently wrote down Eric Andre maybe for one, but I mean, but I, yeah. I would say that those are just sort of open. Peter Falk was one of the original ones, though. He was quite significant. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if I was going to pick for my list of... Anyway, I'll, I'll tag some people when I get to them. So, like, I feel like, obviously, if you're making a movie like this, you got to have Nick Cage. 
Ooh. And but I feel like the funniest thing you could do would be at the beginning of the movie where they're all just kind of like driving and they're just slowly like speeding as quickly as they can down the highway just to try to like break away from everyone else. I feel like it would be really funny if they pass in a car Nick Cage and Nick Cage looks over and it freaks out at seeing all the different people like passing him and doing all these crazy things. And then he just looks to his, uh, looks over to the person who's driving the car and it's just Pedro Pascal just smiling at him doing the meme. (laughs) Doing the unbearable weight of massive talent car sequence in this movie as other people pass them on the highway. Well, so they kind of already have that cameo where basically the two characters, like with the furniture truck, yeah. end up going. They they wreck, and one of the best lines, you know, I said it before and I said it again. I didn't want to move to California. No. Like, so yeah, I, I think like reimagining that cameo mm-hmm. a little bit with Nick Cage and Pat, Pedro Pascal could be very funny. Yes. Who did you have as one of your cameos? So I feel like, again, if we're going 90s, and, and I, I appreciate him more with the more modern stuff that he's done at, at being older, Adam Sandler. Yeah. Um, Adam Sandler, one of the premier uh, comedians of the 90s. I don't particularly like the movies that he made in the 90s, but then I think of like <laughs> uncut gems and I'm like, oh, wow, he can actually be very brilliant. So I, I think, where would I put him? Because he is a little older now. He's in his 50s, I think. And I would want to, I don't want him to do 90s Adam Sandler things. I want him to do modern day, more understated Adam Sandler things. So I'm not sure. I, I think maybe the Jack Benny cameo where, you know, he stops. And he's just like, can I, do, do you guys want any help? You will. <laughs> or, or something something to that effect. Or maybe in, maybe he's the guy who tries to talk them down with the air traffic control. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's also like, you can make up a cameo. It doesn't have to be exactly. something from the original movie. Yeah, yeah. Actually, the Peter, it, him kind of replacing Peter Falk as one of the cabbies could also be pretty fun. Yeah. If we're talking about cabbies, the person I have on my list of cameos who could be one of the cabbies is Leslie Jones. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Like, you want to. Because i shovels. <laughs> yeah. Just like all of a sudden, it's just like, these guys are up to something. I want in. Leslie yeah. Jones all the way. <laughs> who I guess is another SNL person, but still. I also had just like Tiffany Haddish and just like, you want someone who can be like, she's, she's amazing. Sneaky yeah. and up to something and just like, Oh, I see what's going on here. And I, I couldn't figure out what I wanted to do with her. Like, I felt like it's a sort of thing where it's just, I don't know. Yeah, I couldn't figure I, it out. I have a couple of people. Mel Brooks is on my list and I'm like, Oh, Mel Brooks, just a legend. And, but, but old at, at Methuselah level old. And yeah. I don't know where to put him. <laughs> it's, I mean, honestly, what you could do is we talked about having just like a representative of just like the person whose money this belonged to of just being like, Oh yes. yes the corporate executive. Feed me another condor egg butler. Yeah, yeah. And just like like just crazy old rich person Mel Brooks ca- would absolutely call, calling Jeff Bridges and being like my tuna factory, you know, <laughs> like <Yes>. that's money. <laughs> I would never eat the tuna. I just eat direct swordfish, which of course <laughs> yes. isn't kosher. But what are you gonna do? <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I think he should be your fat cat. Yes. So here's here is the only way I could think to do the gas station sequence in the desert. So that's that's so interesting too, because like who who are the guys who Brendan Fraser runs down? Here's the only way I could make it work. And it's because 
Brendan Fraser's been hit over the head. And I think it's important that we don't see who hit him over the head. Mm. Because I want him to wake up and be delirious. And I want this entire gas station to be run by the Muppets. (laughs) (laughs) It's a a movie where we bring together every piece of popular culture comedy. And, and the 90s. They were big the in the 90s. And like, it's the Muppets, man. It's just like, he, this is a guy who's like drugged and delirious. is just like brah, tearing out everything all around him. And he just destroys the Muppets gas station. And oh then we, and they, they can't do anything. They're the Muppets. They're Muppets. <laughs> and just all of a sudden, and then he finally gets away. And then it's just like, ah, oh, man, retirement isn't what you thought it would be. Is it, Fozzie? Nope, sorry, well, Kurt. Well, well, and also, you know, they're not, like, dead because they're the yeah, Muppets. So, exactly. yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, that's absolutely brilliant. We're keeping that for sure. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, that's who I that that's who I had for that. What What's another cameo you had? I, I feel like, again, if we're talking the 90s, who is huge in the 90s but also super, super funny, Will Smith. Um, I couldn't figure out where to put him, but I feel like he's got to be there somewhere. I mean, you want to be really funny is when they're having when the family's having their fight on the side of the road will smith can drive up hey you guys need any help no we don't need you in this will smith oh <laughs> oh okay i get it and yeah. then he just sadly drives away yeah that's yeah. kind of how i would do that also very very funny for sure You've also got that one of the cameos is like the guy who calls uh, Otto down and wants to help with his wife's medicine. That's an opportunity for a cameo. Not really yeah. sure who to put there, but that is that is one that's kind of already written in. A good pairing of cabbies would be uh, the Mr. Show guys, the David Cross and Bill Odenkirk, uh, Bob Odenkirk. Oh, Bob Odenkirk would be an amazing yeah. cabbie. Yeah, yeah. I mean, He's especially great. if you want to talk about like a inspiration for all all these comedians are going to be like oh my god mr show of course yeah i wonder as well you know um his name's bill cranston right brian cranston brian cranston brian cranston obviously serious as a heart attack these days but was the dad on malcolm in the middle very very versatile for comedy as well i'm wondering if there's a spot for him at some place maybe as the as the cowboy who needs help with the medicine yeah but yeah i feel i feel like brian cranston's an amazing versatile actor as well what would be really funny would we be oh brian cranston we like he needs help his wife needs medicine and then they get to the house and then sitting outside in like overalls and just being a be, being Brian Cranston's child is just Frankie Muniz. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> and it's like, "Hey man, do you know where to go to get back to the road?" "Yeah, sure. All right, come on. I'll I'll, I'll show you the best way to go. I'll give you a dollar." <laughs> yeah. I mean, okay, for a dollar, I Frankie Muniz will help you out. Yes, I love the idea of 35-year-old Frankie Muniz playing, playing the, the child. child. <laughs> <laughs> playing specifically because it's like, oh, shit, it's Brian Cranston. Oh, my God, that's amazing. And then we get to his house. And it's like, wait, what? What's going yeah. on? Because, <laughs> like, who even remembers Malcolm in the Middle? But that's 90s. But but uh, as well as, as it's a time capsule of a, a certain, it's a sitcom. That's a, and it's a certain representation of comedy as well. Yeah. That's amazing. The only other people I had, I kind of already mentioned is like, I think it'd be funny to have Margot Robbie and Chris Pine, but I think it'd be funny to have them as just like one-off characters. We just like kind of drive past as like Margot Robbie's being Batman and not Harley Quinn on Hollywood (laughs) Boulevard. And Chris Pine (laughs) is being there as like 
Thor or Captain America because he's the Chris that isn't in those movies. <laughs> and I just I just think that'd be funny. And it's a that's a joke that like three people would get, but I think it's enough. I'm wondering as well, like there's there's a couple other people on this list that I'm like, oh gosh, I wish I could find a part for them. Uh, Steve Carell is one. I used yeah. to fan cast Steve Carell as the dentist, yeah. but I wanted to go younger with, you know, some of the other character or with, with Monica. So mm-hmm. I was like, well, he's, he's a bit old now, but Steve Carell's amazing and in his younger days could have been a great Melville or Finch. Steve Carell is, if we weren't doing Jeff Bridges for Captain T.G. Culpepper, Steve Carell's an amazing Captain T.G. Culpepper. Could, could also be Culpepper for sure. Yeah. yeah. Like you could just see him drifting off and just like staring wistfully at the map where it says Mexico. Yep, exactly. <laughs> that, so that's, those are all the various people. So who do we have to run the ship? Obviously you wanted to use the kind of the original script. Right. So who was probably... who who, who your pairing though? I'm very curious. I have a I writer really direct, didn't... like I have a, a team that they are themselves writers and directors. Interesting. Okay. So because like they do adaptations and they do, they do real like they're the go-tos for something like this. Like if you want epitome of modern comedy who can handle zaniness and who can handle 10,000 different storylines, the people you go to are Phil Lord and Chris Miller. Right. Yeah. No, I think, I think that that would be great. And, and as well, like since we've sort of moved away from the idea of keeping the original script exactly the same, I think there's a lot of good ideas we've talked about that would require some rewrites. Lord and Miller would be the guys. Yeah. But who do you have to direct? Other than your, other than yourself, obviously. So to direct, <laughs> right? Because that is actually my choice. I want to direct this. <laughs> um, so I, I had a few different on the list, and I'm, I, I think it really depends on what direction I want to go with, because there's, I, I have my favorite comedy director now who is adam mckay and adam mckay has this beautiful way of like directing an almost sort of mockumentary-esque style which could kind of be fun as well as like this like uh, like he likes punishing the rich and he does social commentary and his movies he just announced that his next big feature is going to be about climate change which his last one definitely wasn't about that but the next one for sure is yeah but i mean i watch anything adam mckay does fair enough and honestly, I'm kind of selling myself on this of being my choice, actually, now that the more I talk about it. I'm like, actually, now that I talk about it, because we've been talking about, like, having it be about gre- more about greed and corrupt police. And, like, I think the comedy style of it being a little bit, like, pan in on the person's face while they, like, react to something and the sort yeah. of secession style of filmmaking could be really funny and unique for this. So yeah, I think I'm actually going to go with Adam McKay as opposed Great. to what, what was originally my choice, Ryan Johnson, because I was like, he can do sort of like retro yeah. as well as ensembles and be funny. Yeah, no, I think I'm going to say Adam McKay. I, I think like there's sort of a deadpanness uh, that I want to lean into with, because I, back in the day, slapstick was what they leaned into, but what really sells the movie for me is the performances and the line deliveries and all of the actors acting their guts out, even when it's not their coverage, even when they're in the background or when it's a wide shot, they're all just doing the most. And I feel like the the director who captures that the best is Adam McKay right now. Yeah, I, you're not wrong. I also do love Ryan Johnson. Like when I was going through, it was either Ryan Johnson or Phil Lord and Chris Miller. But the nice thing about this movie is that it is so big that we have room for Phil Lord, Chris Miller, and Adam McKay. Yeah. And they will collaborate and they will give us the best comedy movie that has ever happened, guaranteed or our money back. 
<laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm down for Lord and Miller writing and, and McKay directing. I think that that would be a great collaboration. I think it'd be amazing. But let me take you through what we got. Because mm-hmm. it is a mad, 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 mad world. Our dying criminal is going to be Jim Carrey. Our dentist and wife will be Kieran Culkin and Amber Ruffian. Our husband, wife, mother-in-law will be James A. Caster, Catherine Ryan, and Eddie Izzard. Our furniture truck driver will be Brendan Fraser. The two knuckleheads will be Charlie Day and Harvey Guyen. Otto Meyer, the man in the glasses, will be Kate McKinnon. Captain T.G. Culpepper will be Jeff Bridges. Our foreign man will be Christoph <laughs> Waltz. The brother, or basically the ringer for whichever t- car needs an extra person, will be John Mulaney. And our various cameos will be Nick Cage and Pedro Pascal, Adam Sandler, Tiffany Haddish, Mel Brooks, Leslie Jones, Will Smith, The Muppets, Brian Cranston, Frankie Muniz, and more. <laughs> and then all of this will be written, directed, managed, figured out by Phil Lord, Chris Miller, and Adam McKay. That is It's a Mad, 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 Mad World. Michelle, are you going to go see this movie? <laughs> well, since I didn't get to make it, I guess I'll have to go see it. Fair enough. <laughs> awesome. We did it. We remade this incredibly intimidating movie that I was scared to do, but I'm very glad we did. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for A, having me rewatch this movie. It's incredible. And also for being my guest. This was awesome. Thanks for inviting me on. It was fun to actually sit down and figure this out after many years of it percolating in my head and not doing anything about it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm more than happy to give you an outlet. But now's the time. You have so many projects and different movies. Tell people about how to watch all of your things and or follow (laughs) you on social medias if you are so inclined. Sure, you can check me out at Octopunk Media and a variety of social medias. There's so many at this point. Just go find them all. Just just type that into any social media of your choice and maybe I'll be there. There will also be Live Screamers, which is my current feature that's on the festival circuit. That is coming out to the public in spring of 2024. So you can keep an eye out for that. If you want to get caught up on the Live Scream universe, you can get the original Live Scream on Amazon.com right now for just like a buck rental. You can also find a lot of my stuff on Octopunk Media's YouTube channel, including some short films and my uh, queer transformative fan film, Detroit Evolution and Detroit Reawakening. Awesome. If you are interested in following me on social media, I'm on Blue Sky at Sam Gash, S-A-M-G-A-S-C-H, or you can follow the podcast slash me on Instagram at Ideal Remake. Or if you have ideas for uh, cameos or anything else or if you're if you want to tell us why it rat race is good actually you can do that <laughs> on the dueling on genre your discord. own time yeah yeah you can <laughs> let me know on the dueling genre discord which has a link in the description but that that's an episode that's that is in fact the last episode of season six so michelle i will end this episode the same way i end every episode what is your favorite quote from the movie it's a mad 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 world You're doing great, Captain. Perfect.